Hello and welcome to another episode of Me Telling Manager Stories. How are you? Hope everyone's doing well. I know we took last week off, but uh, coming back this week um, with a couple stories that came to mind when some former managers reached out to me uh, to say they were listening. So shout out to uh, Matt Newtsman and Tom Fisher for a couple of these uh, stories. Um, we're gonna. I'm gonna try to work through some of these things in chronological order. So both Tom and Matt were. Uh, no, Matt wasn't. Tom was where with me. Uh, our first, my first year at Iowa State. Larry's last year, and like I mentioned, last in the last episode, um, there were some rules about how you interacted with Coach Ustasey. And for first year managers, the rule was don't interact with Coach Ustasey. That was just kind of how it worked. Um, and it was made pretty clear from day one that we were to not be seen or heard um, and, you know, to get our work done in our second floor office where we were out of the way and um, do everything you could to just kind of stay out of the way. And so that's where I'm going to start uh, with today's episode is my first interaction with Coach Eustachy, knowing I shouldn't interact with Coach Eustachy. Uh, it was a Saturday morning. It was a in the fall. I was in the team room or in the, the manager's office. So I was on the first floor or on the third floor uh, where I sh I'm not usually at during the week. Um, and Tom and I, Tom Fisher and I were in, I believe, stuffing recruiting mail. Um, so really basic stuff, trifold stuff, trifold stuff over and over and over again. Uh, you know, peel, peel and stick a label. Um. And we, we may have had some recruits in Tom, which might be why we were working on a Saturday. Um, but I think it was before school even started. So or it was right when school started. Um, but it was early on. And the phone rings. And I'm not for sure if anybody taught me how to use the phone, but I was smart enough to figure it out. And uh, thank you for calling Iowa Statements Basketball. This is Joe. How can I help you? And uh, it was Coach Ustachy. Hey, can you get me over to the ticket office? I need some football tickets. Pure panic. I needed a new pair of pants. I was shaking. Uh, hey, it's coach. That doesn't. That's not something I wanted to hear. I was ready to hear on that Saturday morning. Uh, I, I probably very meekly said, "Yeah, sure, coach. I'd be glad to get you over there. Let me let me put you on hold." And what I quickly realized is I did not have any idea how to transfer a phone call. And I didn't know the number to the ticket office. Uh, so I was in not a great situation. But quick, you know, internet search, however quick the internet was back in the early 2000s. Uh, I, I got a, I got a phone number and it seemed like forever. Like it, it felt like it was taking me two hours to get them transferred. And uh, I hadn't been through customer service training yet. So I didn't know how important a warm transfer was. And so I uh, quickly blind transferred Coach Eustachy over to what I thought was our ticket office and, and connected him and, and let it go. Oh, what a relief it was. Things were good. Couldn't believe it. Tom and I were looking at each other and uh but we were we were okay oh man it was you know the the, te the the tension was broke and we were good then the phone rang again 
Thanks for calling Iowa State Men's Basketball. This is Joe. How can I help you? Hey, this is Coach. Uh, I just talked to somebody, and they transferred me to the ticket office, and it wasn't the right number. Can you get me over to the ticket office? Sure, Coach. Yeah, yeah, I'll get you over there. Hold again. Transfer again. Phone's ringing. Send them over. Nerves don't break this time. Things are a little bit worse. Uh, a phone rings a third time. I, I literally can't answer. I, I am in a position where I can't move. Uh, I make Tom answer the phone. And Tom, like I said earlier, the kindest, most gentlest, best person in the world, jumped on a grenade for me and took the call. Uh, I didn't get to hear what coach had to say, but I believe it was something along the lines, if it's too effing hard to transfer me, why don't you just give me the number? And um, Tom politely <laughs> gave coach the phone number to the ticket office and uh, ended the call. And uh, I was 100% sure that that was going to be the end of my dream, <laughs> that that would be the end of my time as an Iowa State basketball manager. Coach would go to stage, would talk to, to Coach Sunvold or Coach Brown or to, to Huggy, and that would be it. And I'd be fired come Monday, um, and that would, be, that would be the first time I got fired. Uh, it wasn't the first time I got fired. I got fired three times, I think, maybe four. But that was not one of the reasons. Um, unbelievably, I don't know how that worked out. But um, that was my first interaction with Coach Eustace, Um My first year. My last interaction with Coach Eustace on a completely different playing field, completely different time after the season was over, after uh, – he had been let go when the protest had happened and um, all of this went down. We were having a graduation party for one of our other student managers out at uh, Gator's house. The Gator Gator's a great guy. Gator was uh, our equipment manager and he would uh, travel with Larry in the RV and he was hosting this graduation party. And I had in college a, a Jeep Wrangler, right? And so it was summer top off doors off there was four of us managers in my jeep and um i'm rolling into gator's house and behind me is the town car and i'm like it's i'm not there's no mistaking it i know who's behind me um and i'm but i'm i'm rolling in and there's a parking spot right in front and then there's not a parking spot for a block and uh i whip in and i take that front row parking spot and we roll out while the town car goes by us. And I beeline into this graduation party and I get as far back, you know, as through as many people as far back as I can get. Because um, I know I just took the best spot. Coach was behind me and I made him walk, right? Um, but I didn't work for Coach anymore. I, you know, he probably doesn't know who I am to begin with. Um, so, but still, I'm hiding. I'm hiding at this party in the back. Front door opens, coach comes in, right? And when coach comes in, everybody notices coach. Uh, so you know he's here. And he makes a beeline directly back to where I'm at. 
with the four of us. And uh, <laughs> again, it's like, I just need another, I need a new pair of shorts. I'm shaking in my boots. And uh, he he comes up to the, the four of us and maybe a couple other people who were already there. And he's like, uh, who's, who's G- hey, hey, whose Jeep is that? Yep, that's that's mine, Coach. Oh, I've always wanted to have a Jeep like that, and I was like, completely one, complete one eighty from our first experience. Uh, you know, we had a, a quick conversation about a Jeep, and uh, no tension there at all. But uh, that was not what I was expecting after a year of, of working there. That uh, that would be how that interaction went either. Um, but uh, those are two quick stories about my interaction with Coach Eustachie my first year at Iowa State. Um, they were few and far between. Um, so who knows how the next couple of years would have gone had he been around. And, and I know there were numerous individuals who had been there for a, a significant period of time who he knew very well and trusted. And that was part of uh, his system and philosophy was you have, you have to build the trust and grow. And um I didn't get that opportunity, but we did have a couple interactions and um, those were, those were two of the fun ones for me. Fun is a relative term in hindsight, but uh, Tom Fisher was there for both of those. Shout out to Tom. Thanks for uh, reaching out and telling me you're listening and reminding me of some of those stories. I know for some of you who don't know us, who haven't met Tom or me, um, hopefully, as this pandemic winds down, we'll be able to get together and do some, uh, record some podcasts together and share some different stories. Um, I'd love Tom to uh, share a story about his trip uh, and how he spent his meal money one uh, Thanksgiving break. That's a great one. Um, so Tom, maybe maybe keep that one queued up and uh, let me know what else you want to talk about. So what else do we got? Uh Last week, we talked about Norm Stewart in the second floor office, and the the second floor office will live in infamy for, for me. It was a great place where I got to spend hours um, getting to know some great people, working hard on tedious stuff, um, it, but all in all, living, getting to live a dream out and, and uh, really having a great time. But there were times... Um, that there were tension in the basketball manager's office. Who knows why we were so stressed out and got on each other's nerves at times. You spend 70 hours a week with somebody that probably happens, especially in a small second floor conference room. Um, And at the time on MTV, a new show was on. It was called the gauntlet. For those of you who uh, still watch MTV, there are no music videos, as you know, but there is still the challenge. And the the gauntlet was one of the early seasons of the challenge. And we created our own gauntlet um, in our second floor office. And basically what that meant was it was time to wrestle. It was time to get over whatever was bothering us through a quick wrestling match in an office um, and Man, was it fun! <laughs> I mean, we had we had gauntlets in the locker room and in the in the team room, and uh, I don't know how, I don't know how I think it was Neil Hayhurst that called it out one day, and 
you know, I think I've got a scar on my back still from hitting a table. And we will probably have some individuals on here who can talk about our different gauntlet matches. I think uh, I remember there was a great, uh, great throw down between Huggy and Neil Hayhurst. There was a, Eric Klein and I had a great battle in Dallas at the Big 12 tournament. Matt Newtsman and I went a couple rounds. I remember one in the locker room where he thought he had me. He didn't have me. Uh, I think, though, the most of the times that, that first season, that first year was uh, where, where Tom and I, and most of it was to entertain Neil as we were getting a little bored. Um, but the second floor office, man, was great. It was wood panels. I think it had, like, orange shag carpet, if I remember. It was... Uh, it was straight out of the 80s, but we had some great times there. So uh, more to come on the gauntlets. If there's individuals who want to share those stories, I was by no means undefeated. Um, and you learn pretty quickly in some of those gauntlet matches why they have weight classes in wrestling. I was not a, I was 160 pounds. And there was definitely people who were bigger and stronger than me in those. And I definitely had my fair share of losses. So more to come on the gauntlet. Last thing I wanted to touch on today, uh, a little bit out of chronological order, but I saw uh, somebody shared with me earlier or late last week that uh, Brent Bloom had posted something about uh, Coach Morgan and having somebody during practices or, or during you know shoot arounds uh, look around arenas for people watching practice and how paranoid coach Morgan was. Well, uh, first off, if you're going to talk about it and you don't use the term sweep the premises, you're not doing it right. So uh, it was called sweeping the premises and I was the one who did that. Uh, we did not do it at home. There was no reason we, we knew where we uh, practiced. We knew there was nobody in our building watching. Uh, but when we were on the road, to give you an idea kind of how um, a road trip worked when I was there, let's say we were playing at Tech on Saturday. Uh, we would practice at home, usually Friday afternoon. Uh, we would, and I'm going to lay out some meal plans here, and you're going to see why I'm overweight now. When you're working 70 hours a week and you're going to class and you're all, all active, I didn't gain weight, but I still eat the way I did. We would practice in Ames, and then we would uh, go to the Ames airport, and there would be a meal waiting for us. Uh, you know, so we would have a double butter burger from Culver's with fries and a drink, uh, or the gargantuan sandwich from Jimmy John's and chips and a drink. And we would eat that while we're loading the plane. Um, Fina Air was the uh, aircraft we took. My my, I didn't travel to my second year, so that was my second year. Um, and we board Fina Air, a little prop jet, and take off. And uh, we'd land. We would go to the arena for a shoot-around. And so we've already had a, a, a good practice at home. We're now just going to the arena to get a shoot-around in, to get used to the rim, to get used to the facility. Um, usually it's pretty low-key. We might run through a couple sets that we were going to work on, you know, we're going to implement tomorrow. But it's, no, it's by no means a full practice. But there are things that you'll run through in a shoot around that you're going to try to implement tomorrow that you don't want your opponents to see, you know, and there's some other things too. Like if somebody's hurt, you don't want them noticing that, uh, you know, 
somebody's over here in a cast or somebody's not dressed. Um, and, you know, there's all these competitive edges that if somebody does see that, you know, could change a game plan, could give an advantage. Um, but so we get to the arena and part of my duties at, on, on road games when I traveled with the next three years with coach Morgan was to walk around the arena and see if anybody was watching practice, check the nooks and crannies, look around, um, see if there was a manager tucked in the corner somewhere, or if there was a video camera set up. Is that paranoid? I don't know. I, I think maybe they just wanted to keep me busy. Um, but, uh, you know, it was kind of fun. Um, there was two, there was three incidences around sweeping the premise that, uh, that stick out to me. One, uh, Mr. Bloom commented on, and that was at San Diego state. Um, I had, they, they had like a pro style arena and I had, I had done my normal walk the concourse, uh, you know, check behind any kind of bleachers, you know, the, the common spots where if you were going to watch a practice, you might hide. And then I looked up, I was on the concourse and I looked up and above the press box, which was above their kind of second level. So again, kind of like a pro stadium, it's up, their press box was up in their arena. Uh, there was someone, I could see the head and just like the eyes and the nose of a person on top of the press box, looking down at the arena. And, uh, I thought maybe I was crazy. So I went over to one of our assistant coaches and I was like, Hey, does that look like a person up there? And we both, we were both like, yeah, there's that, that looks like a person. Uh, so I go all the way up to the top of the arena. I hop over the fence on the catwalk and I'm now walking above the court. I'm literally on the catwalk above the court, walking over to above the press box. And there is a cardboard cutout of a person that, that of a person looking down and all I can imagine is that there somewhere there was somebody watching our practice who was also watching me walk across the catwalk to try to explore who was watching our practice and why wouldn't they move when somebody was coming all the way up and walking across the catwalk uh, just for me to discover that it was a cardboard cutout. Um, so I, who knows if it was placed there for that intent purpose or not. Uh, but that was, uh, that, that was an interesting one. Um, the, the, the Unidome was a tough place to sweep the premise because it is a multifunctional facility and we are trying to do our shoot around while there's gym classes and people having lunch. Um, that was always nice. That was a good one. Um, we had a player at Virginia walk through practice walk through our shoot around. Uh, and I had to uh, kindly ask him to leave. And he not so kindly told me it was his F and gym. And if I bothered him again, I believe it would become physical. Uh, I believe Mr. Homan helped clear up that situation. Um, yeah, that was a fun one. That was you know, like, Hey, Hey bud, uh, you mind just going around the outside here? We're trying to have practice. Uh, he did not take kindly to that. Um, and I'm sure that if it, the situation was reversed and Holman had walked through Hilton like that and the manager from another team had asked him, maybe it would be the same thing. I don't know. But uh, that, that was a fun one. So, um, But it was always an interesting activity, interesting task, whatever you want to call it, for me to do. Uh, you got to see parts of the arena that you never would see 
on a game day because you kind of, you know, show up to the arena, you go to the locker room, you go to the court, you go back to the locker room, get on the bus. Um, so, you know, it was, it was neat to be able to walk around these different arenas, uh, be in the concourse and, you know, just see different aspects of it while you were there and try to take in different pieces of the, the, the travel environment and all those kind of things. So, um, Sweep the premises is what we called it. Our objective was to make sure nobody was watching our practice. Um, hopefully, we at least if we ever identified that, we we knew what uh, we didn't want to run any sets. We just wanted to focus on getting shots up. Um, so was was Coach paranoid? Maybe. I know that people have told stories about he does. You know, if you ever listen to the, the John Walters pregame show, he didn't like to talk about strategy with John before the game in case Bill Self was listening to John Walters, you know, 15 minutes before tip off. Um, I don't know. Maybe you know, coach has been around the block a couple times. Maybe he knew other coaches that did that and had seen it backfire. I don't know. You know, what do I know? I was a 20 something year old kid. I don't know anything about paranoia in coaching and, and what that is, but um, you know, he, Coach was unique, and that's what I love about him. And um, so sweep the premises was one of those things that I got to do on the road. Um, so thanks, uh, Mr. Bloom, for mentioning that last week. Uh, brought back some great memories for me. So, all right, guys, that's uh, that's it. I want to end on, on this. So, you know, I, I started this because I'm at home and I got nobody to talk to, and um, I – I've heard from people I worked with um, that they're enjoying it. And that's, that's the best part. Right. And, and have been able to have some conversation with coach Arch about his dad uh, and the story, you know, that I shared with him and um, some different people. So uh, like I said, hopefully I can keep going on this and give you one, one a week on a Thursday or Friday at the end of the week. And as the summer rolls on, maybe we can get some of uh, my cohorts in here to tell stories as well. I know we've all got uh, some great memories. Um, around all of this uh also kurt if you are listening my brother-in-law who won't listen to my podcast because he says he's heard all my stories uh he he thinks that he can beat you not beat you he thinks if you two played one-on-one -on -one to 10 he could score on you um now my brother-in-law has a very high opinion of his athletic abilities he uh spent most of his time on the bench in high school at Dallas Center Grimes uh, to give you an idea of the difference in competitiveness here. But um, Kurt, if you ever want to let me know, we play men's pickup league and I can get you the directions and uh, you can come, you know, maybe help me make a point that uh, he doesn't really know what a division one athlete like Curtis Simpson can do. Um, and I tell that story strictly because I know he doesn't listen to my podcast. He's going to hate that I shared it, but I did. I hope you all have a great day. We will talk to you soon. Mike Harris, how are you?